Welcome to the China Flexpad Podcast. My name is Ian Moat. I've been in China over 13 years now. Uh, I'm from London originally, and uh, my path here is that I I worked in banking for a long time, and I joined a bank in London, Standard Chartered, many years ago. I worked there for a while. The big thing with them was they were very big in Asia and not so big in London. So I sort of did a, a career wall after a few years. I couldn't get much further there. So I asked to move out to Asia, and I had to talk to a lot of people and work a lot of contacts and make myself available in lots of different roles. And it took about a year, but after a year of Searching around, I finally got the move I wanted, and in 2002 I moved to Hong Kong. I worked in Hong Kong for four years,、uh, and then out of the blue one day I got a phone call. I got moved to Dubai, and I went to Dubai for a couple of years. But I still always felt I had some unfinished business in China. When I was in Hong Kong, I was covering China as well. I travelled a lot to China, all over the country, even back in the early 2000s,、um, and it was still.、Uh, I enjoyed it. I started learning the language more. I felt I wanted to come back. So again, out of the blue one day, 2008, I got a phone call asking me to come and run the China team for the department I was in in the bank, and I came back in the end of 2008. Carried on in banking for another seven years, then, and then I left in the end of 2015. And I've stayed in China ever since,、uh, working in finance, a mix between working with some startups and then helping, working as consultant to help startups and SMEs grow their business and help find financing in the market here. 13 years in China, four years in Hong Kong. And my claim to fame is I've been to every province in China, so I've travelled a lot around the country in that time. Hey, Ian, welcome to the China Flexpad podcast. And I also like to travel. Actually, I go around China on my bike, and、uh, I'm really looking forward to my next trip through Zhejiang Province just in the next uh, the next uh, two weeks. Can you describe a little bit about the culture differences between Europe and China based on your international career? Well, in terms of doing business, one of the things I noticed straight away when I came here. Is that in China, even some very very large companies are very centralised in their decision making. So you go and you can meet、uh, the chairman over a meeting or a lunch or a dinner, and then he's the guy who decides. There's no committees, there's no procedurals, and having to have lots of different layers of bureaucracy sign off. You go and you talk to that person, and they make the decision, which is good in terms that you can really strike at the, at the decision maker and make sure that you know you you talk to the person who's in charge. The downside of that then is that if you get it wrong, there's no recourse. If you get it wrong, there's no way back. And also, they have a lot of control over the company, so there's a risk there.、Uh, for instance, one person is the legal representative for a company in China, and they often hold the chop, which is a way to sign off on lots of、uh, or payments and banking aspects. And it, with that, there's a centralisation risk there, that, which means that they have all the power. And if you don't Agree what they're doing, or you can't stop them from doing it. Then、um, it can be very difficult to to do business with them. Even to the point, I saw a story recently. There's a, a UK listed company called ARM, which is a big semiconductor produ-、uh, producer. They have a big subsidiary here in China. They tried to fire the CEO in China for strategic reasons. He refused to go, but because he's the legal person and he's got the business chop. Not only do they have to keep him, they have to let him set the agenda in China because they can't get rid of him. So you have to be aware of the way businesses run here, and even if you are, you think you have a control over a business as a as a multinational with a subsidiary here, you have to be very very careful the way you set it up because it's very easy to lose that control. Ian, what were your challenges when you came to China, and how did you cope with them? Well, I think I had two main challenges when I got here: one external and one internal. The external one was that I moved here just at the peak of the financial crisis. 
Um, now, China wasn't so badly affected by the financial crisis, which was good in a way. It meant that there was still lots of business to do. The bad news for that was that the way China coped with that was by flooding the market with cheap liquidity. As a bank, then that was a problem because all of my clients suddenly were awash with money from the Chinese local banks and didn't need the money that we were offering. And basically, my whole business died two weeks after I arrived, which was a bit of a challenge. So we spent the first year I was here rebuilding getting new clients in, going out and finding clients who did need money and who did need to do business with us instead of relying on the old ones who didn't. So that was a big issue. The second issue was more of an internal thing. I was running a, a team here and I, when I worked in Dubai, um, the team I had, although much as I like them, they were very chatty and talkative and I knew everything that was going on. And, but I came here on my first day, I met everyone shook hands, introduced, and I sat down, and then there was complete silence. Everyone said hello to the boss and then got back on what they were doing, what they were doing, and no one would talk to me for about the first week. So I had to encourage people to interact with me more and to let me know what was going on so I could find out what was happening day to day on the ground and then start making a few decisions and influencing them a bit. But the, the cultural aspect internally was that you have a big boss and the big boss does their work and the guys on the ground go off and do their work and there wasn't a lot of interaction or discussion between the two. And I had to try and bridge that gap pretty quickly. Otherwise, I wasn't going to know what was going on. So how did you bridge these two cultures and how did you change your leadership style after this experience? I mean, I had to then realize they expected me to stand up to be a big boss. So uh, the amount of collaboration and discussion that I'd had before probably wasn't going to be applicable here. So I did try and be a bit more visible and stand up as a, a figure point for the business and be prepared to make more decisions on my own without the consultation or discussion that maybe I'd had before. But on the other side, then try to bring them in and say, hey, look, maybe in your past you haven't had this interaction, but I do want to, want to know what's going on. I'm not going to scream and shout at people if something goes wrong. I'd rather hear about a problem early so we can fix it instead of blaming someone for what's gone wrong. And so then I try to encourage and after a while, people seem to get the confidence and the understanding that they could come and talk to me and interact and that there was a benefit to that. So as I had to meet halfway, I had to stand up a bit taller and really be the big boss. And then they, I brought them in closer as well. And we met somewhere in the middle in the end. This leadership experience, this China experience must make you very unique in your role as an experienced finance professional, CFO. So how do you help people, professionals who don't have this experience? Well, one of my last roles in the bank was I headed up a team that was looking at uh, the subsidiaries of multinationals from all over the world doing business in China. And I felt in the end that my main job was almost like a, as a translator, to translate between Chinese business practices and European Western business practices. For instance, there were some European clients who got very upset with things were not signed off on exactly the right date in exactly the right form And they expected a, a very structured, timely, procedural way of doing business here because that's what they were used to. In the same way, a lot of the Chinese clients, as I said, were used to doing business in terms of dealing with a decision maker. And then once a decision was agreed, just going ahead with it, not so much about due diligence and strict compliance requirements and some of the Western uh, structures and understanding that, that is in place now. So on both sides, it was trying to put a lot of fires out when people got upset about things that actually there wasn't a problem about, and then just try to explain on both sides why something was necessary for the other side 
and why they do business that way and then trying to yeah there's a certain amount of education on both sides about that if you want to do business with someone in another country you have to understand how they're doing business and this is what they do so it's okay to go along with this this is not a problem this is not a not an issue so there, I was doing that on both sides, it, uh, trying to get the European and the American guys comfortable with what the practices were on the ground here, but then also getting our local guys to understand why some of these requirements and, and needs came in. Would you say, Ian, that you can do this culture bridge in a better way than a Chinese person who knows the Chinese culture as his home culture? So would you say American and British banks, they would more trust you as a British person to explain this culture gap to them? Well, I think the important thing is that you have to be able to understand both. So my advantage there is I worked in a bank in the UK for many years and then I've been here for over a decade. I think a Chinese person could do it, but if they then spent that time abroad in the UK and the West or to understand how they work. If someone's worked solely here in China and doesn't have that experience of Western business practices, then no, I don't think they could do it. Um, and I think that's where some of the opportunity lies in the future is, you know, the last decade or so, you've seen more Chinese companies starting to invest overseas and take their money overseas and want to grow in other markets. And I think they're going to need help to do that because they have to learn how to do business in other countries the same way as many of the Western companies have had to learn how to do business here. Having that experience and having spent the time in, in both camps is, is, is the main benefit, I think. I totally agree. And I also sometimes I'm concerned if young flexpats come here right after university. So what they bring is their foreign face and their foreign education and their mindset. Yes, but they don't have the business experience, how problems are solved abroad. And they're not really able to convince Europeans that they understand what they want, but it doesn't work in China. So this is very interesting. What would you say young flexpats really have to learn when they start over in China like you did? When I first came here, yeah, back in 2002. So, uh, yeah, it was very different then. And um, I think you just have to have a huge curiosity and open-mindedness. The, the best thing I ever got told uh, about moving abroad, even this was many years ago, even before I came to China, was uh, it's not better or worse, it's just different. And I think that phrase has, has stuck with me for a long time. So you, you have to come and be curious, why are you doing this? What's going on? And ask lots of questions and understand why people are doing things on the ground, uh, but without judgment. You know, if you, you can look at it and say, I agree, I don't agree, but that's not going to change how things are done here. So the value is to go in and learn and learn as much as you can and understand and then be able to translate that back overseas. Um, but if you're judging it and you're, you don't accept it because you don't agree with it, then it's not going to work um, because then you close off avenues to yourself. It just The best thing is a, an intense curiosity and desire to keep having new experiences. But the mindset, the education, the experience of the Chinese professional has changed so much in the last 20 years. What mm. kind of jobs do you see now for experienced finance professionals like like you 20 years ago? You know, what can they do in China now? How can they differentiate on the job market? Yes, I think it has to be a, a cross-border international aspect. So either working with companies who are coming into China and want to set up from overseas or helping Chinese companies invest their money out of China and go and expand and do business globally. Um, also, you're seeing more regional roles now. For, back when I started in banking here, 
all the regional roles for Asia were in Hong Kong or Singapore. And China wasn't really an aspect, but as China's opened up over the years and got more capable and Shanghai has caught up with Hong Kong, um, there are more regional roles here. And so if, you, if you're looking at a regional finance role, you're looking at the China business, but you're also looking at the, maybe the Hong Kong or the Taiwan or Japan or Korean businesses or Singaporean businesses as well. And so then you need to have an understanding and a, uh, an appreciation of all of those markets and not just China. So the, the rise of the, the regional role here has been quite noticeable in the last 10 years. And I think that's going to continue because I think more of those roles are going to move here away from Hong Kong and Singapore as China becomes more and more influential. Sorry to dig into this again. If these roles move away from Singapore and Hong Kong to Shanghai, Will these jobs go to Chinese people or to foreigners with experience back home? I think that I think foreigners have a very good chance of competing for those roles. I mean, certainly it, the, the the market here has got much more competitive over the time I've been here. But if it's a regional role with a considerable amount of overseas uh, requirement and understanding, um, then I think foreigners have a very good shot at that. As, as a, a good way of example. Um, One of the roles I do now, I have to do some Chinese local accounting and also some international accounting. And the way they're put together is is very, very different. So if you've only worked in China and you've only put numbers together uh, for a Chinese balance sheet or Chinese profit and loss, when you come and look at the international books, you know, that's going to take some learning and some understanding. So if you have that overseas international experience and you can do both, that goes a long way because they are very different. Let's talk about compliance. If we work with Chinese customers, there's always, you know, the stuff you don't talk about. So how do you make sure this doesn't happen in your organization? Yeah, it is a very difficult thing. And we, we've had a lot of issues in the past. I think you have to do a lot of explaining to Chinese clients about why you're coming with requests that maybe local businesses aren't coming to them with. And you have to be patient with that. And you have to appreciate that some of them are not going to do it. And it's going to be a cost of doing business here that, If you want to maintain that level of compliance, you're going to have to sacrifice some of the business because they won't be able to meet it. And unfortunately, that's just that's the cost of having one foot in both camps, I feel. If you can find clients who genuinely have a need to do business with you and genuinely have a requirement and that you can build a long term partnership with, then you can educate them and they will come on board. If, you, if you're finding clients, all they want to do is a one piece of business, quick hit to make a little bit of money and then move on to the next then it's not going to work. So I think it, the best way to, to assure the clients is to really build long-term partnerships and long-term relationships with people because then they get to know you, they understand why you're asking for these things, that you're not just going to disappear afterwards and cost them a lot of money for no particular reason. Um, so I, it, it pushes the focus from short-term to long-term, I feel. How do you help your salespeople to get business without using Chinese way of winning business? I mean, I think it, a lot. some of it comes in, in client selection. I mean, there, I've, I've been in meetings, sure, where we've been asked for stuff or when people in my team said, well, local banks are giving them far more than we're giving them in terms of gifts or dinners or can we not do the same? And it's like, no, no, we can't. But if, if, that, client is, if, if that client is essential, needs that essentially to do the business, then we just have to pass on it. And it's, but it's better to learn that early and spend your time then researching the clients who who has who need the value and want to do business with you because this there are they are out there we found this i mean china is still an enormous place with an enormous amount of business to go on 
it's always hard. You meet someone you think is going to be a great client and then you can't do business with them for a compliance reason. Yes, it, it's frustrating and there are days you wish it wasn't the case, but there's always another one. There's always someone else down the road and there's always more you can do. So you just have to take the knock and, and move on at the end of the day. Thank you so much, Ian, for coming on the show. Do you have one last advice for FlexPets? The amount of variety and difference regionally and even in down to a provincial level because there's so much variety and difference and everything you want to find, you can find here if you look hard enough. That would be it. And I, even after 13 years here, I'm still learning new things and having new experiences now. So that never, never ends. Be humble about it that there's always going to be more to learn and more to understand. You're never going to get fully under the skin. Thank you so much for the time today. So yeah, sure. If anyone wants to reach out to me, I'm happy to talk to them and give any advice I can. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for being part of China Flexpot community. Visit our website at chinaflexpot.com and follow us on LinkedIn. Goodbye and 再见.